0: Hello everybody, this is Dr. Diana Wiley and I am your host of Love, Lust and Laughter. I know you're going to be happy about my guest today. I am so glad we're revisiting Howie Gordon, author of Hindsight. And Hindsight is True Love and Mischief in the Golden Age of Porn. One of the quotes I like a lot is, we have Mark Twain meets Don Juan, a delectable fusion of brains and balls. (laughs) That's a great quote. (laughs) Howie Gordon, I'm so glad you're back again. Um, Yeah, you were on this show in 2013, and that was a panel with Nina Hartley and Candida Royale.
1: Mm, Two yummies.
0: Two yummies, and... Unfortunately, Candida Royale has passed on, and in fact, we did another show just with you and Nina a few days after Candida died in 2015. You have worked with both women on many levels. You have so many stories to tell. I'm so glad you're back, Howie Gordon. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to see you and hear you again. Uh,
0: Yes, thank you. And we had uh, some nice off the air conversations, and of course, Candida Royale. Um, and I just want to read to the the uh, blurb that Nina Hartley gave on your book, Hindsight. And she, she writes, "Mr. Gordon's story will make you laugh, cry, gasp with surprise, and move your soul. He holds nothing in sharing his. He holds back nothing in sharing his extraordinary journey from fat boy athlete." Hippie, swinger, actor, model, porn star, devoted husband, doting dad, and all around mensch. She uses that word. I know the Jewish word, um, the Yiddish word, really, right? Mensch Mensch is a good guy. Yeah. And she's of Jewish descent, and so are you. So she, yes. We should all be so lucky to count him as a friend or neighbor by this book. High praises. And one more high praise from Candida Royale. Richard Pacheco, and of course that was your your porn name, wasn't your typical porn stud. And thank goodness for that. He became a much beloved and sought out performer during the golden age of porn, thanks to his timeless good looks, his wit, his great personality, and an ability to deliver a great performance under hot lights and scrutiny of the unforgiving crew. His legend will live on in the hearts and minds of both the women who worked with him and those who watched. That was a high praise from two women that, well, they were, they're were they both my friends too. Um, I was just heartbroken when Candace died of ovarian cancer in 2015 at way too young an age. But we're not here to talk about that except I know you have special feelings for Candace still. Her real name is Candace. So, um, But let's talk about your book. And your, because hindsight, and then we're also going to talk about your newest memoir, uh, which is Return to Squirrel Hill. But we're going to focus on on hindsight. And, you, you know, it's wonderful that you have the foreword by Whoopi Goldberg. And I'm just gonna quote one uh, sentence in her foreword. And then I want you to tell us a little bit about your relationship with Whoopi. Um, And she writes, it was a time of storytelling with an X rating and there's no one better to tell the story than my friend, Howie Gordon. Tell us a little bit about Whoopi and your relationship with her.
1: Whoopi was an actress working in San Diego uh, in a theater troupe. Mm-hmm. And a friend and a friend of mine from the Blake Street Hawkeyes in Berkeley, David Shine, uh, saw her down there, and they fell in love. And he mm-hmm. brought her back to Berkeley. Ah. And she joined the theater group, the Blake Street Hawkeyes in Berkeley. Oh. Ah. And while she was here, uh, David said to me, um, I had done a lot of writing, and David said, Whoopi wants to do a treatment for a film. Would you help her write it? And I said, sure. And I hadn't met her yet. So um, she came over to my cottage and by then I had been in the porn business for about two years, three years. And when you're in the porn business and you're introduced as being in the porn business, when people meet you, they make lots of assumptions. Number one amongst them is that you're available to seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so Whoopi was coming to my house and I had learned over time, uh, my wife and I had learned that we had been open marriage and been through a lot of that kind of lifestyle. And we learned over the years to keep our house private to ourselves, nobody for anybody else in our house. So when new, a women, good
0: boundary, a good boundary, I would say yeah, <laughs> important it, for your marriage.
1: Yes. Yes. So, so when whoopie um, came over the first day, I said, hi, welcome to my house. I'll be glad to help you with your script and you and I are never going to have sex. And she she said to me, I don't remember asking. (laughs) (laughs) And that sounds like (laughs) Whoopi. Yeah, it was. And and so we proceeded to help her write the script. She had visions. uh, She hadn't become famous yet. And so she had visions of one day working with Dustin Hoffman on this Western. And uh, I helped her write the treatment for it. Oh. And that was Hello. Um, And then it seemed like six months later, She was on, on Broadway. (laughs) It wasn't a slow rise. It was it truly meteoric. She went from nobody to being Bob Hope. Um, It was, it was amazing to watch and God bless her. She is one hugely talented critter and a wonderful person. So that's my my connection to Whoopi. We, um,
0: you know, this is a podcast and we have, we have lots more, uh liberty than we than in some shows. Um you know I was um at the end of February I was on Daily Blast Live, which is a uh her, it's a national cable uh talk show. And but it's in the morning, late morning, and they warned me not to say any any suggestive words and or it had to do with the body. And I was describing um, sensei focus which is um, yes, exercises yes. you know them yeah and and i use the word um not uh it's not penetrative sex it's everything but well they bleeped out penetrative sex and when my son saw this <laughs> he laughed that his mother was getting bleeped and people thought it was much worse than it was of <laughs> so yeah anyway we have I'm shocked shocked, I tell you're shocked yeah (laughs) that's right that's right so um but you have this this book hindsight is just quite amazing and I read it in 2013 right after it was published and I read it thoroughly and then I enjoyed rereading it again in anticipation doing my homework for this show and I'm always good about homework um so we we thought we'd uh, we'd talk about um, some of the some of the highlights, some of the peak experiences you had uh, in the porn business, and and lessons learned. And you have a perspective uh, that not many have, and and also because of all of the pluses that the, these women that I just Nina Hartley and Candida Royale wrote about you. You're so funny and you're so handsome even oh. now darling oh stop it stop it some more you've aged very well you've aged very well i um we've met in person i was in your home in berkeley and we did not thought- oh <laughs> oh my goodness now yes. i told you mom stop that kind of talk i know i know oh, God. okay yes we did say that all right so we're going to try not to use the f word um anyway um so uh, now I got myself all off. We want to talk about Pizza Girls because that was, you worked, you did that. It was right at the beginning of your career. And you you did that with Candida Royale. And there's a really interesting backstory to that. Uh, and um, so would you tell us a little bit about Pizza sure. Girls as a peak experience and maybe some lessons you learned by well, doing Pizza Girls?
1: It's a wonderful kind of transition when we talk about candida and nina hartley because they come together at this point in my life uh i had done a couple of loops and and some uh sex scenes and had only a 50 50 kind of experience of whether i could get an erection or not the mm-hmm. only reason i had a career was that i could act a little bit and this was a time when they wanted actors so normally if you were going to be in a sex film you had to be able to be guaranteed an erection you can say erection um oh yeah you know, and I was not good at that. I was terrified about uh, being on camera. Um, so by the time my fifth movie came along, Pizza Girls, I was scheduled to work with a, a woman in Candida Royale who was young. And I said, can I get her phone number and call her up? I'd like to meet her before we go on stage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, so I called her up and I uh, said, I would like to get together for coffee. Uh, we're going to have a sex scene and I'm, really nervous about that. And I thought we should become friends if we could meet. And she was very skeptical about somebody calling her out. What does this guy want? Uh, Who is this guy? Uh, But she consented to meeting me. And we got together uh, on the rooftops of San Francisco with a friend of hers named uh, Leilani, who was also an actress in the business at the time. And we actually did have sex. And uh, we didn't fall in love and she was young and wild and i was 10 years older and married um but the plumbing all worked which is all it was about for me great so the plumbing worked okay um to, to, i also um, was really nervous about being able to get an erection and i used to have to drive from berkeley across the bay bridge to san francisco and i'd be practicing getting hard in my car while i was driving and truck drivers You know, they're much higher up than you on the road. And they can sit down in your car. And this one guy saw me playing with my organ. um, And he started honking his horn and pointing at me. And I said, oh, I got to rehearse. I don't care. (laughs) So we get to the set and it's time to go. And uh, Pizza Girls is a really silly, ridiculous movie written by a chimpanzee on steroids. And it's about a conflict between a a pizza pizza parlor and a chicken fast food, chicken delivery shop next door to each other. So they're competing for customers. And um, the pizza girls deliver the pizza and not only do you get the pizza, but you get the girl. So I played a cowboy in this and um, (laughs) oh Lord. Um, Well, now I'm a cowboy and I'm playing this part here, see. And yeah. uh, I order up my pizza and it's a it, Candida while on roller skates delivers me the pizza and she's we start talking about nasty things, you know, and, uh-huh. she, yeah. and so it's time to do the deed and um, Candida is put on her knees in, in, in preparation of helping me to get aroused and uh, the director goes quiet on the set everybody gets real quiet and yeah. we roll roll sound, sound rolling, roll camera, camera rolling. And then all of a sudden, and I can't do this to the poor people listening, but at the top of his voice, the production manager screams, quiet on the set. I jumped three feet. And And that was
0: enough to make you limp, I bet.
1: Whatever I had going went. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. And I couldn't get an erection for the whole movie. Um, So Candida and I, we tried, we tried, we tried. They can only wait so long for a guy to get it up. And if they don't have a stunt um, penis waiting for uh in, to be plugged into the movie, they yeah. just they just shoot the scene as an R-rated scene and don't show any genitalia and you move yeah. on. Well, yeah. they decided they didn't have a stunt person there, but the production manager <laughs> was substituted for me. The genius who had screamed at the top of his lungs. And when he went to do the scene, he couldn't get it hard either, which Mm. really traumatized Candida because here's two guys who can't get it up. And she starts blaming herself, um, which is instructive because here you are, knowing as the man that it's your failure. And you see the girl suffering because she thinks it's her fault. So you've got to calm her down while really you need her to calm you down. And it turns into.
0: Pause there, Howie. That is such a good life lesson for any couple. I mean, it happens to lots of men. They lose their erections and the woman thinks, oh, I'm not sexy enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. They think it's their fault. I, I, you know, and then it, no, it's, it's your fault. And so you're, you, you describe that very well, Howie. So you're trying to you know, it's it's we'll one of many, on it. yeah. it's
1: one of many ironies of the mirror that's held up to our sexual lives by putting them into the x-rated world yeah. um, for instance and I'll, I'll jump ahead because I do that kind of thing and yeah you can do that or dr diana has the trouble i'm i'm a stream of consciousness and every now and then there's a flood and she's got to try to <laughs> control the floodwaters and keep me on point so i'll let her do i'll let her do that and i'll just tell my story
0: yeah, and I'll wrangle you. You were playing a cowboy on Pizza Girls, but I'll be the Wrangler and okay. kind of keep you keep you uh focused.
1: All right, I'm gonna cut ahead to a new movie. Good. Uh, this was what movie was this now? This was one where um I met Paul Thomas on this. This was the candy stripers. And oh the um, candy stripers. Yeah. Okay. There's a uh, wonderful digression here. They had like 15 people in an orgy scene and we all get posed around and we're about to start shooting the very first scene and all of a sudden before the director calls action, a voice bursts out in song. Let the sideshow begin. Step right on in. Guaranteed to raise a smile. Guaranteed to blow your mind. It's amazing. I'm amazed. I'm just sitting here with my woman who I'm supposed to work with. And this voice is so angelic and melodic. It was Paul Thomas. He just burst out in song before we started shooting. I fell in love with him. And it, my, did
0: it inspire you then
1: to give a really no uh, wonderful <laughs> performance? <laughs> Eventually, I did work with who I was working with that day. And I did with her, a lot of help from her managed to do our sex scene. And it was very gratifying and I was very helpful. Okay. Yeah cut to two hours later. This is now I'm in love with this woman. She's my savior. Yeah, there's another scene where she plays another sex scene with two other guys. And I have to watch this. Well, I start feeling really jealous. Now, I have no right to feel jealous. This no. this is this is the point of the intersection of real life with this movie life, because in movie life, not none of this is real. It's all set up, and but you can't lose these human feelings of attachment. And I'm you have to let go of the woman who's playing your wife in the morning, and in the afternoon there she is having sex with Jamie Gillis, uh, very rough and different. And these are shocking moments to realize. Um, that your your personality your your ways of dealing with these things have to be left in the dressing room with your clothes because they're not acceptable in this world this is how this this goes so these these very human things are have to be processed at lightning speeds and fast forward to live in the movie world where you trade partners all the time and you don't get to hold on and there's a lot of relationships that blow up uh, a lot of couples get involved with porn and the and the, the relationships don't survive very long when the husband or the wife has to see the partner with another person. Um, and you don't really have the space to get into it on the set because nobody cares. It's not yeah. like you you can't take the time to do a therapy session and you need to, and like, it's not going to happen in, in a second anyway. Okay. So let me take you back to um, the pizza girls with Candida. I failed. Um, the irony there is that we became really good friends outside of that. And yeah. over over 10 years time, we became quite intimate without ever having sex. Yes. We, we passed, we paid the rites of passage in that and we became very close. So 10 years later, I get a phone call one day. A voice says, hi, my name is Nina Hartley. You don't know me. I'm new in the business but I've got to do an anal intercourse scene with you uh, in a couple of days. And I've never done that before. Would you mind getting together with me and rehearsing? (laughs) So 10 years- come full circle, hasn't it? Exactly, exactly. It's payback time. Just as I asked 10 years ago for help, this is sort of asking me. And the irony, I remember covering the phone while Nina was waiting for my response and saying to my wife, dear, there's a starlet on the phone who wants me to have sex with her anally, do you mind? And I said, she said, no. <laughs> and that that's just, I, amazing. When I look back, that we had that kind of uh, freedom with each other. To freedom with of, each other. That it, kind of grace. It didn't. It didn't last forever, though, did no, it? No, no, no. Another no, story. No.
0: I. But let's let's finish this story with. I think this is great. So Nina called you up, and she. So
1: you had an anal rehearsal which well she's playing a sex therapist and uh-huh. the way she helps people spice up their lives is to teach them about anal intercourse uh, and it's a leap of faith here yeah. <laughs> in terms of movie making that, that her nina the therapist having sex with these people is going to be good for their marriage uh, but that's the premise of the movie yeah and the reality was is when i saw this script um two things occurred to me uh one was the backstage stuff of talking about making this movie was much more interesting than the movie itself which was kind of juvenile and silly but the reality of Nina and I talking about how to play this scene um I went to my wife and I said to her who my wife was a sex therapist at that point in time I said how would you treat someone trying to learn how to do anal intercourse. And she said, well, I would use the same treatment I used for vaginismus, which is a term for painful intercourse. And the treatment was a series of gradually enlarged cylinders, beginning with about a pencil thickness and ending up something about the thickness of a cucumber or a banana. And wait, you- wait, know, but,
0: she- but Howie, I've got to interject here. Actually, vaginismus is not painful intercourse. That's Desperunia. And vaginismus is where the vaginal opening is contracts so hard that sometimes it isn't even possible to get the penis in. And that's where the dilators come in. And certainly there would be a connection between going from tiny little, going into the vagina, but also going into the anus. So I'm not surprised that she suggested that. And did it work?
1: Yes, it did. And thank you for pointing all that out, because that's the stuff when you're a layman, you don't bother to remember. Yeah, it's all right. That's good. It's good to to have that information. So we use that in the script. And um, then it occurred to me that this process of getting together with Nina and doing this is going to be much more interesting than the movie.
0: So Uh
1: I, I said, let's shoot this because video video had just begun. And video yeah. essentially costs nothing. If you have the tape and the camera, it's just your time. That's so right. we could make a whole other movie of the rehearsal with our own equipment and get two movies for the price of one. And I called the director and said, let's do this. And he he didn't want to do it. you um, are well, you wasting my time? And I don't want to do that. And we he decided he had to palliate his performers. Sure. OK, we'll do it. So we got together and, and shot that. Um, <laughs> what I remember most about it is there's this moment. Well, no, I don't think you want to get into that on the air. Never mind. Self censorship, saving, saving the show. Okay,
0: that's that. Uh, no doubt, Progressive Radio Network will appreciate
1: that. Yes, they will.
0: <laughs> as far as I know, they don't edit this. So
1: okay. So yeah. the scene with Nina and I worked out very well, and uh, she began, And I said to Nina after the movie was all done and wrapped this was like her second movie and she ah. didn't she didn't particularly you know she just learned it and of course for the first time and it was not exactly uh like oh i love this for life this is great stuff she could put up with it um in time that changed but that was where it was at that point and i said you know you might think twice about wanting to do many more of the the, the series was called little anal annie you yes. might think twice about making this your trademark name because you're going to be doing a lot of this. And I don't think yeah. you really want to be doing a lot of this. Yeah, I
0: she, bet that was a, a advice that she appreciated.
1: Yeah, she said, good point. Uh, at yeah. that point, she was just hungry to be a porn star. She just really wanted desperately to make this her life's work. And she was willing to do whatever she could to make, to further that end. She was a, a protege of, of Juliette Anderson. Uh, yes known as aunt peg who had discovered her and worked with her in her first uh her first movie which was called educating nina i think or maybe she uh-huh. changed it to educating rita there might have been a phony name there
0: but yeah. that's what it was yeah. about
1: um and thus she was launched and today she's like one of the most famous porn stars ever and certainly one of the most intelligent
0: well, absolutely and, and you know at the time she was studying nursing for a while and she kept her nurse's license up and she pr- later produced a series of educational films s- sex ed films so you know, she's um she's an amazing person she's a friend of mine too and and uh i've enjoyed our friendship so much and so and it's wonderful that you had all of these uh really deep relationships with
1: with these well, that's the that's the great gift of the industry yeah, it's an right. opportunity for an intimacy you don't have when you work with people in the bank uh, if you do <laughs> it's, it's a lot more complicated um, yeah, that's
0: right because here
1: it's like you know, you, you, you might go, get fired you, you, you go might to get work, fired <laughs> you get paid for the your your uh sh- your sharing of intimacy in and yeah. in, in, in a polite way of saying it and then you go home it's so it's mm-hmm. a wrap it's over that's that's the that's the great safety guard because and that's true in Hollywood movies too um or regular movies. There's, there's the thought is what happens on the set stays on the set. Yeah. And, and yeah. then it, whether it's a porn movie that's three days in the making or a major production that lasts a year, at some point in time, the movie's finished,
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: production manager says, "Go home, <laughs> everybody. Go home." They stop paying for your food and for your hotel. You have to leave, and you go back to your real life. It's a difficult transition. Um, for a lot of people to get to share that kind of intimacy and then to let it go. you Oftentimes you like it more than your home life or your home life has gotten stale and this is fresh, fresh, fresh and invigorating. Hollywood marriages, cinematic marriages are very difficult to maintain, whether yes. Sex, yes. sex or not sex.
0: Well, there's the other, the little piece of this. And that's that our brains produce dopamine, the hormone of arousal, with novelty and that's one of the big challenges for long-term marriages
1: what a good way to put it with novelty
0: like yeah if you don't have enough novelty yeah. and do- dopamine when you're flooded with dopamine there's do you know that brain science has even shown that thinking about a hot scene with your lover coming up anticipating it anticipating hot sex with your lover can produce dopamine just the anticipation. Well, so,
1: that's, that's a, one of the great ironies of my career was that here I thought I wanted, all, I wanted sex with all these hot, bad girls. And yeah. I, got, I got into the business and discovered I'm really a very poor at it. I'm not an exhibitionist and I have to overcome a lot of traumas to be able to do the sex. And I had this sense of um, here's the naked woman on her. Well, I won't be too graphic, just waiting for me, yeah. invite, inviting me. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm not hard. Um, and what do I do? I close my eyes and I begin to masturbate. And What am I thinking about? My wife. <laughs> I'm thinking about my wife. I and hope you know, shared that with Carly. Oh, I've shared it with the world. and I'm doing it again. And <laughs> because what I call that was God laughing. Do you hear God laughing? He was laughing at me. <laughs> well, thank you, Jehovah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know your sense of humor and your uh, in your writing in your speaking hasn't that made a difference in your life that you, you know that you can laugh at yourself and laugh at laugh with others i mean
1: well, that's a good segue because uh, yeah. i can tell you that i was raised in a family with my mother's younger brother uh, who was what we called back then in the 1950s and 60s, mentally retarded. Yes. Um, when I was four years old, he came in to live with our family when my our, my grandmother died, his mother. And my mother, his sister, took care of him. And she took care of him for the rest of his life. So I was raised in the house with this guy. And Man, it was
0: this, your Uncle Izzy and you Uncle write Izzy.
1: about him. Yeah. And Uncle Izzy, at our dinner table, if you couldn't say something, in 10 seconds let's say forget yeah. it because he would say something and we'd all be laughing we had our own personal buddha and he was just <laughs> he was just funny um <laughs> he called me monkey face which was his he couldn't say monkey face so it'd be huh. monkey face and he'd sort of sing it and this was my childhood i was raised with this in, yeah. in my house and um it was different outside the house, but in the house, it was very, it was warm and loving and wonderful, but it gave me an appreciation for what Erasmus, one of my favorite writers out of history, used to call in praise of folly. In praise of folly. In fact, Erasmus once said, if there be any great pleasure in life without a woman at it, let others look to it, which leads me back to the world of porn. Yeah,
0: So why don't you share with with me and with our listening audience uh, another peak experience and maybe a lesson learned. Um, I know you have a wonderful story about the lioness and the rabbit. It's on page 472. Yes, folks, this is a big book with pictures. Many of them come from the Gordon archive
1: so how he took must have
0: always taken your camera with
1: you to I did I did I did um well um let me just preface this by saying there's no way I can do justice in the the right amount of time that we have available for a show like this to tell you the whole story but I can give you some highlights of a couple of things which will whet your appetite and I hope amuse you Mm -hmm. In the in the movie Talk Dirty to Me. That's the movie I did that made me a star.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that first. Yes, let's talk about that.
1: And in that movie, I was playing my uncle Izzy. This all this all happened because after a couple of movies, people start saying to me, You got to meet Anthony Spinelli. You got to meet Anthony Spinelli. He's the best director. You're an actor. He likes actors. You got to work with him. So I meet Anthony Spinelli, and we get to be really instant friends. Um, and we're talking to each other, and I'm, I'm telling about my Uncle Izzy for some reason, and he tells me a story when he uh, recently lived on a street where there was a kid named Melvin on the street who was mentally retarded, developmentally disabled, now what
0: you say. Yes, yes, yes.
1: And uh, he thought, amazing, how the whole street used to take care of this kid, and there was an extended community, and he said to himself, I'm, when I, I get the chance, I'm going to make a movie about a kid like this, and Here's me walking into Spinelli's life, and I'm the guy. I know that role with all my heart. So he says it's time to make the movie. And he has his son, his scriptwriter, do a treatment for what became Talk Dirty to Me. And I'm playing my Uncle Izzy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward. It's a week before we're going to shoot this movie. It's a buddy picture that stars John Leslie and me. And John Leslie is like the alpha male's big stud. And I'm the little street-like waif that he takes in. And we're buddies. He takes care of me. Um, the names are Jack and Lenny, like of, from Of Mice and Men. But Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm not the big oaf that Lenny is in the movie. I'm a small kid. I'm a young kid, younger young kid. That's how we played it. So yeah. uh, a week before we're going to start shooting, we're having a dinner at our house. And we're showing off for the movie people. We made fancy French cooking and this and that. And... Um, There's a lot of people there. Annette Haven is there. She's one of the stars of the era. Juliet Anderson was there. Um, John Seaman. And while we're having late night, we're in our cups and John Leslie and Annette Haven are fighting with each other because that's what they like to do. They, neither one of them gives an inch. They have these wonderful fights in front of people. Um,
0: (laughs) Did they, did they work together on, on. Oh yeah,
1: they've been in films,
0: and did they fight there too, or did? Oh
1: yeah, and that just is she's the queen, and you know they fucked the. Oh
0: okay, (laughs) yeah, I know,
1: I know. Heck with the queen, the king. Heck with the queen. (laughs) Heck with the king. So anyway, they they just did a good job of that. The Battle of the Sexes is what they did really well.
0: Well, well, yeah. I want to just interject here. You know, some some real life couples will uh, have arguments. Uh, And then makeup sex and what happens when you're fighting is all of the similar things happen in your body that happen when you're sexually aroused, your heartbeat goes up your, your adrenaline and and all of that the anticipation, the breathing um, in a fight so that makeup sex can be hotter after a fight because you've already prepped your body for it in the argument.
1: Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah also explains my senior year of high school with her because <laughs> <laughs> I kept breaking up with and then making love with her again uh, okay. well, we weren't we weren't going all the way but we'll yeah. be equivalent in any case so we're at that party and we're going to shoot the movie in seven days and the phone rings like around one o'clock in the morning and I go answer the phone and it's my dad calling mm-hmm. and my dad's crying I never heard my dad cry ever. He's crying on the phone telling me that my uncle Izzy has just died. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. So fast forward. I mean, I, I'm supposed to play him in a movie in seven days. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh, I got to go home for the funeral and this and that. But, you know, I was raised in an Orthodox Jewish family. And they be- they bury you 10 minutes after you die. <laughs> I know. but
0: But people then, people sit Shiva, right, around. Yeah. A- but, uh, around the
1: casket is it well no the casket's in the ground the shiva is what you do after the funeral after the funeral that's yeah. right you you eat and you say prayers and you talk about uh, how much you're how miserable you are that they're dead yeah 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 until you till it lessens up because you know mm. not, uh, they have very strict rules for helping to overcome grief and i don't want to do that now no <laughs> no that's another but i will say that i made the decision to make the movie Okay, it was my pen, my homage to my uncle, who was a very gentle spirit. Yes. And that was the character I was playing. Yeah. So in the movie, there's a crying scene, and we're going to shoot the crying scene. And it's going to be done with what they call natural uh, golden hour with natural light. That means no lighting. We're going to use the sun. And that means the sun's moving. It goes down quickly at the end of the day. And that's the, that's the period of time you have to shoot, maybe 10, 15 minutes of the right light. Um, And we got to shoot this scene, which is like a 10 minute scene. Okay. So in the scene, John Leslie is playing his harmonica, blues harp. I had no idea he was even a musician. He was a fabulous musician.
0: John Leslie. Yeah. And I'm
1: just finding this out at at that moment. Yeah. While he's playing his harp, I'm sitting next to him with the San Francisco Bay in the background. And I'm crying because no woman wants to be with me. They all think I'm stupid. And I'm, you know, and I'm crying about it because I can't mm-hmm. find anybody who will make love to me. And that's the scene. Yeah. And we do the scene, 10 minutes. Um, at the end of the scene, the crew is applauding. Wow. That doesn't happen in porn. Um, that's amazing. But Sam doesn't want it. He turns it looks at them with a dirty look and just turns it off like water in a faucet. And he grabs me and he says, we're going to shoot it again right now. And he takes me close to his face and he says, just let it out. Just let it out. Okay. Okay. And Uh action. Okay. We're shooting the scene again. Yeah. The words are coming out of my mouth. The tears are coming out of my eyes. Yeah. But I'm not there. I'm it's on automatic pilot where I am is in my own head. And in my head, I see my dead uncle sticking his head out from between some clouds. And he says, it's okay. Go ahead. Use it. Oh, that, that
0: was a powerful message from the other side.
1: It's the only time in my life I ever understood acting.
0: So he said,
1: it's okay. Use it. You know, it reminded me of what, you know, I was a history major. And I, I in the Europe, Europe, of the middle ages, the, the, theatrical barnstorming troops would go from town to town. And in some towns, the minister, the, the clerics would tar and feather them and send them out of town for committing the sin of play acting. Because mm-hmm. they, they didn't think that, um, People should pretend, um, so theater became mm-hmm. verboten, forbidden. Uh, and I understood the concept at that moment, like how the, this could be construed as sinning, because it, it occurred to me where that could that could happen from. But it was amazing, and um, I really wanted to see this movie because <laughs> I had, you know, been been through this. Because when when the, the movie went into rough cut, that means they're finishing up the movie. Yeah. Sam had to show it to the producers who funded the movie. And when he showed them the movie, one of them, these were a couple of enlightened souls named Vinny and Arnie. And they're looking at the movie and they're going, Sam. And I'll, I'll skip the F word. There's a lot of F words on this. Yeah, Kids please, crying, Sam. Sam. Kids crying. What they, what, what, what's he crying about? <coughs> there <ain't>, there's no. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> he's losing that throwing a fit. He's, no uh, he's, I don't, he's, don't want him crying in this movie. Cut this out. And that's without all the F words. Um, And Sam fighting back saying he's talking about the arc of the drama and the story and and it's falling on pigs before swine. Oh, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so they end up in World War Three. Sam had a three picture deal with them. They can't even be in the same room after this. And I end up calling them up since after they cut it out of the movie, saying, can I have the footage? I just want to see it. It's the most magical moment that ever happened to me on camera, uh, ever. And I, I just want to see it. And they say, oh, sure, yeah, you can have it. Well, what happened shortly after that is the movie came out, and it became this giant hit. It wasn't like... It's certainly yeah. making a lot of money as Lenny and, and think that that's an erotic scene to watch, but they're, they're out there. Um, any case, it was a it was a different it was a real movie. Um, it had sex in it, and um, both the producers and Sam wanted to make sequels, only the producers didn't want to hire Sam again. And they asked me to be in a movie without Sam. Well, Sam was my mentor and my friend, and no, and they asked John the same thing, and John said. I don't know. And there's another F word here I'll leave out. Uh, every time I chose something nice for somebody, I end up getting effed. Um, mm-hmm. I need the money. I'm going to make it. And he went ahead and made Talk Dirty to Me part two. And I didn't. And then later on, we did the true sequel to the movie, which was called Nothing to Hide.
0: Nothing to Hide.
1: Yeah. And uh, that ended up having a crying scene in it. that wasn't cut out.
0: But you're crying. It, it's so sweet and sentimental and... I hope you were able to share that with your family and let them know that you were really crying about uncle Izzy.
1: You know, that was way too close to the bone. Okay. Uh, Especially at that point in time, they didn't even know I was in the industry. Uh, Oh,
0: well then you couldn't do that. In
1: fact, that's another great story. If you want to hear that story. I do. Uh, I'm coming home from a party and I'm drunk and I'm trying to put the key in the keyhole of my cottage. And I hear the phone ringing inside. And this is, um, There's not answering machines yet. So I'm trying to get in and I finally get in and I get on the phone and his voice goes, you're busted. (laughs) And wow, uh, it's amazing how those two words can sober you up really quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Now I knew I was in a business where that was an occupational hazard. So I figured, okay, maybe this is just my time. Um, and And he said, didn't you hear me? I said, you're busted something about that voice sounded familiar to me and i went is this cousin jimmy indeed it was it was my cousin jimmy calling me from pittsburgh pennsylvania and i'm thinking well if i'm busted why is my cousin jimmy calling me from pittsburgh uh-huh. and i'm not as sober as i thought i was um, <laughs> and he tells me cousin burton saw you in a porno film <laughs> cousin burton oh my god this is another country you heard from cousin burton was a lawyer excuse me, who worked for Valium. And he had taken an afternoon off in Washington, D.C., gone to the local Pussycat Theater where they showed adult films in those days, and saw me in my very first movie, The Candy Strippers. He got so excited that he ran home to Maryland, got his wife, drove back to D.C., took her into the porno theater, and said, is that Cousin Howard up there on the screen? And said, yeah, that looks like Cousin Howard up there on the screen. <coughs> so, um uh, he uh Jimmy is telling me this story i said so uh, did did cousin Burton call you um he said no he called uh he called your mother and i said what uh-uh. but she wasn't home oh. so so then he called his mother, <coughs> my aunt lil, and Aunt lil told her son, listen, um Adeline, which is my mother's name. I once took Adeline to see last Tango in Paris, and when Marlon Brando got naked with Maria Schneider and started doing that scene with the butter and the tacos. Yep. Lots you know, of
0: people remember that.
1: He, he, Aunt, my mother grabbed Aunt Lil and took her out of the theater. Oh, dear. So Aunt Lil didn't think that my mother really wanted to hear this news that her son <laughs> discovered me in a porno film. No, so I don't he, think so. She made her promise not to tell my mother. Mm-hmm. I said to Jimmy, well, how did you, did Aunt Lil tell you? She said, no, Aunt Kitty told me. Aunt Kitty told you? How did she find out? I don't know. Maybe Aunt Lil told her. And and, and and I'm thinking now, if Aunt Kitty, if Aunt Lil told Aunt Kitty and Aunt Kitty told Aunt Rose, that means their husbands Leo and Chink both knew. And, and then Jimmy tells me, but they all promised that none of them are going to tell your mother or father. So, And was that
0: promise kept or maybe
1: not? No, that's when I knew that this is not good because I could just see the next bar bar mitzvah. everybody snickering in the corner and my parents don't know why. So I knew at that point in time, I had to call them up and tell them what's up. Mm -hmm. So I did call my mother. My father was away getting a haircut and I'm talking to my mother. She was ecstatic because my older brother was moving back to the United States from Israel. Mm -hmm. he was a doctor there um he had come up against the prejudice against non-israeli born physicians Ah. Um, he couldn't rise in his field and he wanted to win a nobel prize in ophthalmology so he wanted to come back to the states where israel was comparatively backwater compared to the states in that field at that time so he was moving back to pittsburgh of all places and that was great my parents were really happy so i said okay mom good um I got some news. Uh, a while back, I made a few X-rated movies. I didn't tell you because I didn't think you'd be too interested. in it. Um, But cousin Burton wandered into an X-rated. He goes to see those movies. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, ma. He goes. <laughs> I guess so. He saw the movie, uh, and uh, and I was in the movie he saw. So he got all excited. He called Aunt Lil, and why didn't he call you? That's a really good question, ma. <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't know, but he didn't. He talked to his mother and then she told Aunt Lily and Aunt Tini and Uncle Mania. And I think everybody knows. And I just want you to hear it from me before you have to deal with this. And she said, is that your news? I said, that's my news. She was waiting for all the bumps to fall. She's not stupid. And uh, she said, how much did they pay you? I said, Oh, <laughs> $100 or $200. I got $200 a day for two scenes. And, uh, And she said, "Um, what was the name of the movie? It was the Candy Stripers, Mom. Candy Stripers. And uh, I told her I made a couple of movies. I had made about 30 by then, but I didn't want to start (laughs) off with the heavy information. But then the thought occurred to me, and I said, I worked with Marilyn Chambers. Because Marilyn Chambers was world famous at that point in time. And I figured fame has a way of making things acceptable that aren't acceptable sometimes. Cause you know yeah. they, they talk about it on Johnny's show. Um, but she said, who? <laughs> and I said, Marilyn Chambers, you know, it's, everybody knows her. She worked with the baby and, and and you worked with a baby. No, man, no. She was with the ivory snow and the baby. and blah, blah. She never heard of Marilyn Chambers. So well, it was worth a shot. And then she said, you want to know what I think? Okay. I braced myself. And she said, Ah uh, she gave me the raspberry and, yeah. started, and started laughing. And I'm laughing. And my wife yeah. who I had on the phone for moral support, she's laughing too. And yeah. That, that's how it ended. Uh, I just, a,
0: that is a great story. And I want you to tell at least one more. Um, maybe well, it would enable us to talk about to share, to share, compare stories, because I was on the Joan Rivers twice in ninety one and two, the Joan Rivers show. Yeah, and you were on, and you described this in your book. And they they flew you and your wife out to New York, put you up at the Plaza. I they treated you very well. I
1: yes, I they did.
0: Good budget because I they put my husband and me up at a really nice hotel too, and uh, and the, uh, so I would the first time I was on. It was. <clears throat> What it's like to be married to a sex therapist and there were three couples one of each couple was a sex therapist and then the producers were so impressed apparently they thought i could handle howard stern so three months later i was back on the show surprising howard stern and joan rivers in the like the third or fourth segment with a big basket of sex toys and some advice for Howard Stern. Well, I, it was really fun to do that. And and Joan Rivers was just the nicest person. And so was Howard Stern in the green room. But tell me, <laughs> tell us, yeah, he really was. And, yeah. and um, anyway, according to his new book, uh, Howard Stern comes again, uh, which was more recent um several years ago but uh he said he got a lot of therapy and now he's a better listener in in terms of his own interviews and i think that that's true um but what happened with you when you were on joan rivers and because it's a good story and it's in your book
1: well aids had just come up, come upon the world and i had um ended up saying i'm not going to work again in x-rated movies until they find a way to protect us from the threat of aids yeah. And that was, uh, it made headlines of a kind. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't just in the X-rated business. People in straight movies were worried about kissing because no one knew whether it was passed uh, through saliva. Uh, the right. inquire, the, so it, there were, that debate was going on. And that's why I was timely and brought to Joan Rivers' show. Mm-hmm. And it was a day when, uh, w- when we weren't talking about the threat of death. Um, I was very funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're on a break and Joan Rivers says to me, you know you're you're funny. You should be doing stand up. And I mm-hmm. said, "Well, that's why I'm here. I need a new job." Yeah. Um, yeah. So she uh, she points to this guy off camera and says, "When we're done, you go talk to him. He'll get you started." So, we do the rest of the show and uh it's a good day for me. It's a good day. Uh she liked me, I liked me and uh, it was it was good. Oh man. um so afterwards I go see this guy and he says, "I own a string of comedy clubs." across Canada and I'll start you in the East coast. You'll work your way West. And in three months time, you'll be in LA. Um, great, let's go. So I go to, all excited to tell my wife and we have um, a two-year-old and a newborn. <laughs> and Not my wife,
0: very good timing there, Howie. <laughs> yeah.
1: My wife says to me, oh, this is the part Will you leave me home alone with a two year old and a newborn and a full time career as a therapist and you go off to become a movie star? I don't think so. And then there's an A word that probably wouldn't play very well on the air either. Uh, Mm -hmm. But she added that. And uh, no, just no, you need to find a job where you're home with us. And uh, God, that was so romantic. Uh, And the truth was, I didn't want to do stand up comedy. I knew me. Uh, I'm not going to be in the nightclub at two o'clock in the morning and going home to a crummy hotel by myself. I'm going to want to sleep around and sleeping around is now a, the threat of death. So I, I, I thought I was going to do that. I'd stay in the business and none of this would even, it wasn't available. It just seemed like the wrong time, wrong place, wrong idea. And um, I didn't take the job.
0: And, and in hindsight.
1: <laughs> so to speak.
0: Yes, that was the right decision. It, oh, it, God, was, yes. it was a bit disappointing for you in terms of your career because this would have put you at a whole nother level. But it, the timing just was off, totally off. Yeah. For you to do that. at the. But your sense of humor, you retain it. It's how you are funny. And it's a wonderful thing to laugh. Everybody feels better after a good laugh. Uh, you. It's just. It's a known fact.
1: It's as and, good as a bowel movement.
0: Uh, well, I think it's better. <laughs> I think it's better, and we know that couples who laugh together last together. They last because if you're laughing together, you you're you're being vulnerable. You're you're and you're letting down your guard, and you're connecting, and you're appreciating the other person, and and if and often it's it's like an i think milton Berle said this a laugh, uh laugh um laughter is like an instant uh vacation it just it puts you on a in a whole nother space to laugh, so you've retained that you'll always have that good <laughs> your sense of humor your your wit and and it's really this is a good segue because we're coming to the end of the show but um it. It, that's the thing about your writing it it's funny and it's hard to write funny. I mean pe- lots of people can be funny and speak funny, but I think it's harder to write funny.
1: Would you agree? Well, I don't think of it in those terms um, okay yeah writing for me began I went to um the Northwestern School of Journalism as a high school junior in in between my junior and senior year, they had a national high school institute, mm-hmm. and I had just—you know—there's so many things we haven't talked about. I, I was fat from the ages of seven to seventeen, mm-hmm. and then I'm in the middle of my junior year. I lost fifty pounds in mm-hmm. January and February of my senior of my junior year, and I went from being the 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 obese sidekick like uh, Andy Devine to Wild Bill Hickok, uh, Guy Madison. Um, <laughs> And when I went back to school, all of a sudden, I had my first taste of being a sex star. Um, so it's a new toy. But I, this reminds, when, when I think of myself, when people say you're handsome, this and that, not when you're fat from 7 to 17. You'll never be handsome. You're always going to be that guy. Um, you don't believe any of it. It's all you know who you are. And um, that part of me is always there. Um, I started keeping a diary as well with the trigger that made me think here. Yeah. Um, Because at the journalism school, the first day of the writing class, uh, the professor wrote on the blackboard, a writer writes. Mm -hmm. And then left the room. (laughs) Um, Ah. So I started keeping a diary that day. And that was in uh, July of 1965. and, And this past week, I just started volume number 190 of my diaries. Um so wow.
0: Well, no wonder that you were also able to write uh hindsight. Um, and and we before the show is over, we want to talk about your your newest book, Return to Squirrel Hill. Uh, before we run out of time, give us a brief description of that. And I'm gonna put I'm gonna say the the the, the website addresses, but I'm also gonna put it in my show notes so people can can get.
1: Either book,
0: Hindsight or Return to Squirrel
1: Hill. Hindsight is the story of my X-rated career written uh, primarily because I wanted my kids to know what I and we, my wife and I, were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, We went through the uh, open marriage phase and these other phases, and it was a different world in the 60s -hmm. and 70s. And I wanted my children to understand this so they'd have a context for seeing what we were doing and what we did and i didn't write it in 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 uh age appropriateness i wrote it in uh adult adultes thinking they wouldn't get to it until they were uh adults young adults yes and it took me 30 years to write that book mm-hmm. uh, and uh, 30 years later i we published it in 2013 i think it's when it came out or 2011 that's right like that. And I love it. I, I read it all the time. I stand by it. I think it's entertaining. I think it's real. And it gives my kids the message I wanted to give them. And now, you know, they, they know what their parents did. And uh, they'll, they knew about my, well, they knew about my career very early on. Because when they were like four and five years old, I had to teach them, when the phone rings for Richard Pacheco, don't yeah, have, hang up. That's daddy's stage name. Daddy uses it when he makes movies. Daddy makes movies? Can we see him? Can we see him? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Daddy makes grown-up <laughs> movies. You can't see them till you're older. Well, that lasted for a while. And then this story goes on and on. Um you want to go on and on? <laughs> I well, on we, on. we don't have the
0: time to go I on don't. and on, but,
1: but I've done a whole one-man show on this. Uh, my, my, uh, well, my of course.
0: And my... also, also your, your son, because you have two yeah. daughters exactly. and a son, and he, Tell us in about a minute what your son did. I think it was in 2010.
1: That's when he did the first version of it. He wrote a one-man show called Debbie Did My Dad. Yeah,
0: Debbie Did My Dad. Dad, okay.
1: Which for those those of you who don't remember, Debbie Did Dallas, which was a usually famous porn film. Uh, That was it. It was. It was.
0: Good you put that in there because we have some younger listeners who wouldn't, wouldn't understand that reference. That's right. Yeah. And uh, does your son have a similar sense of humor?
1: Well, he has his own sense of humor. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, yeah, similar, I said, but yeah.
1: yeah. Because dad's never funny. You know, it it reminds me of like um, uh, Richard Pryor's kids don't think he's funny. They want to see uh, somebody else. uh, Michael Jordan's kids don't want his autograph. They want Charles Barkley's. It's your own kids. You're never going to be that. Um, that's what, true. Because you're the one that put them to bed, and have been doing it all their lives.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Um, so, so we, the other book, I just did my yeah. first audio book.
0: Talk um, about that for for uh, we have just a couple of minutes, but
1: okay. So the, it's a book called Return to Squirrel Hill. Most people know Squirrel Hill because that's where three years ago there was a mass shooting there, um, the largest uh, attack on Jewish uh, people. the united states where 11 people were killed Um, this book has nothing to do with that scroll hill is the community i grew up in in pittsburgh and the book is about it's three arcs to it one was my mother had a heart attack and my father wanted me to come home and help take care of her Uh, secondly was going back to pittsburgh was where i grew up so the second arc is all the stories of growing up reminiscences from childhood and the third arc was a story of me and my best friend, Harold, from high school, who became a Rastafarian, a Rastafarian. Um, and this had to deal with what became a full-blown mental illness. Uh, and I was the one who tried to help him navigate those waters. Uh, and it's that story as well. So those three arcs wind around each other and, and the audiobook. Um, is me performing my own writing which really was fun and you've had yeah, to because take you're the- an
0: actor and well, it's, your, it's your own words and you you're very entertaining so i'm going to put uh, that in uh, the the links to to all three the hindsight book and return to squirrel hill and then howie gordon at uh dot uh, at bandcamp.com, bandcamp.com. right, right. I'll put, put all of those in the show notes. And, you know, I, this is a beautiful quote of yours and, and a lot of people agree with it. Um, people, especially in the business, including Nina Hartley and before Ken, Ken, Candida Royale. And it's just, it's beautiful. You, you write this on page five. When sex is accepted and celebrated for the goody uh that it is, and can be in this life, it takes on a much less obsessive place than when it is denied, vilified, or repressed. Hear, hear. And that's, we're gonna end on that note because that's the music. Howie, I'm gonna have you back. You have so many stories to tell. You're, what a life you've had. And it continues on. You're a delight. Thank you, Howie. Thank you. It was just a great show, and, and uh, it'll be archived by tomorrow. So you can find it um, on my website and also at Progressive Radio Network.com, PRNFM.com. But anyway, good. My website is drdianawiley.com. And Howie, you are funny and a <laughs> Fine man. A really fine man.
1: You made me so very happy. (laughs) I'm so glad you came into my life.
0: I am too. Bye bye, everybody. And bye.